0: if you'll open your Bible to the book of Romans in chapter number 5. And of course, tomorrow is Memorial Day. Now, we all know that. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. Memorial Day is always the last Monday in the month of May. That's when it is. And on Memorial Day, we remember the one, in fact, more than 1.1 million men and women who have died in the United States military serving their country to very simply to keep us free. That's the whole deal right there. In the year 2000, I mentioned in the bulletin, Congress asked the American people, you and me, all American people, that on Memorial Day at three o'clock In the afternoon, local time, wherever the people would be in America, to pause and to remember those who had given their lives for their country to keep us free. Like tomorrow, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, local time, baseball games will stop, they'll have a moment of silence. Tomorrow, 3 o'clock, local time, wherever they are, Amtrak trains will all blow their whistles, and I'm sure many other things take place. I said this morning, I encourage you again tonight. Tomorrow, you'll be somewhere at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You may be alone. You may be with a family, a bunch of friends, wherever you are. I think it would be the right thing to just say, you know, the pastor just mentioned at our church that we're asked at 3 o'clock local time to pause for a minute and just remember those who've given their lives. And you might be just the leader. I don't think anybody In America would be offended by that. There's no pressure to that, none of that at all. But we just need to remember that a great number of people, over 1.1 million, have given their very lives to keep us free. Now tonight, what I want to do, I want us to pause and remember one person, one man, who over 2,000 years ago, He gave his life to make us free. It's one thing to keep people free, it's another thing to make people free. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did on that hillside, Golgotha, at the foot, the Damascus Gate, going into the old city of Jerusalem, there in the most busy part of that area of the city. Our Lord Jesus hung on the cross, shed his blood. You know the whole story. And he did that to make us free. And we're going to be thinking about that tonight. So let's do that by looking in Romans chapter number 5. And I want to read the first two verses, and then I want to skip down to verse 6 and following. And then we'll come back, and we will look at a thing or two in the time that we have. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1 And remember, the Apostle Paul wrote this book that we call Romans. He was in Corinth when he wrote the book, and he wrote it to believers in Rome. Paul so much, his life's desire was to get to Rome, and he did, and it cost him his life. One of the most moving things that I've ever experienced in our journeys in places was when we were doing a trip and we had a group and we went to Rome and we went to what is now a little small monastery. And there's a beautiful chapel there. And tradition says that the apostle apostle Paul was beheaded there and that when his head hit the ground, it bounced three times. And each place that it bounced... A spring of water came gushing up, and there we went and saw the very place and the water. Now, whether it's exactly the place, I don't know. But we do know that Paul's life was ended, as was Peter's life ended in Rome. And what Paul's whole, the whole book of Romans, the, the whole book, the theme is basically what it means to be justified. And we're going to see that in our scripture tonight. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible says, therefore, having been justified by faith. And that word justified simply means declared free of sin and guilt and right in God's sight. Now, that one word, the idea of that word, we have been declared free. How have we been declared free? Well, by faith. And what do we get from that? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you underline in your Bible, I hope you've already underlined the word justified. Then the words we have, we have is is a fact. He's writing to believers and he said it is a fact. This is your position now because of your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did. He's about to mention that. It's a beautiful thing. He said, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Verse 6 says, for when we were still without strength. Now, he's talking here about, he's, he's writing to believers. And he said, but before we became a believer, Before we were declared free of sin and guilt, and we were right in God's sight, he said, here was our condition. We were without strength. That that just simply means we were powerless to do anything about it. In other words, he said, when we were unregenerate sinners, we were powerless to do anything about our spiritual condition. It is true of them. It was. It is true of you and me, and it is even now. The unregenerate person is absolutely powerless to do anything about their spiritual condition. Now, mankind, humankind, they think oftentimes through religion and through various ways, there are things that can be done. But he's on to something very, very important here. He said, no, back before we were justified and before we had peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the fact of the matter is, we will strength in due time. That means at the right time, look what it says Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely or rarely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more. Then having now been justified by his blood, that he is declared free of sin and guilt by Jesus' blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For, for if we, for excuse me, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that. But we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Father God, we're going to think a moment how practical this, what appears to be a rather difficult portion of Scripture. But God, this is one of the most beautiful parts of the book of Romans. And I pray tonight that we realize that one of the things that makes us free is that we have, God, access to the personal presence of our God himself. And I thank you for that. May now our minds open to what we're going to think about. I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit would just anoint these moments. And may tonight we realize what we have and who we have in Jesus Christ. And I pray even tonight, if there's some here that for some reason have never made their peace with you, I pray, God, on this memorial Sunday night, I pray right here, some would come to know the Lord. I pray all of us who know the Lord in a personal way will realize even more what we have in him is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All the people said? Now, if you take your bulletin, I wish you'd jot down a little thing or two. First of all, in the bulletin says if we have made peace with God, we can have access to the personal presence of God that's huge so what that means is if you have made peace with God you have been justified you've placed your faith and trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ look at it in Romans 1 you've been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access to by faith and to this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, uh, once justified, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And then because we have been justified, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, then we have personal access to the very presence of God. Now that's, that's, that's beyond comprehension when you think about it. I have personal access to the very presence of God. You say, well, pastor, so do I, and you're correct, but yet it's, it's beyond our comprehension, and the Bible has so much to say about that. If you'd put your bulletin where we are in the book of Romans, but I want you to turn over in the book of Ephesians. Let me ask you just to mark a couple of verses. In the book of Ephesians, first of all, let us remember that uh, we find our peace in Jesus, but in Ephesians in chapter 2, if you'll turn If you look down in verse 14, here's a verse you certainly want to mark. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, For he, that is Jesus, himself is our peace. So Jesus is our peace. If you want to have peace, this is where you find peace. If you have Jesus, you have peace. He is our peace. But if you look in verse 18, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, Paul went on to say, For through him, that is Jesus, We have both access by one spirit to the Father. So this whole idea that you and I have access to the personal presence of God. Now think with me a moment. In the Old Testament, we read about the temple. And we read about the temple in the New Testament. And you remember that the temple had a huge curtain. Maybe your translation says a veil. And what that huge curtain did, it separated the sinful people from the Holy of Holies. Now you've heard of the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies in only one time a year. And before he could do that, he had to first offer sacrifices for his own sins. And then once he had done that, he then could enter behind that veil, behind that gigantic curtain, he could... He could have access, and they believed that there in the Holy of Holies was an unusual, actual presence of God Himself. And there, He would offer sacrifices for the sins of all the people. Now, the Bible teaches us that when Christ died, in fact, you'll put your bulletin where we are in Romans. Turn back with me in the book of Matthew in chapter 27. I want you just to see the verse. Matthew 27 and I'm going to wait a moment for you to get there. Matthew number chapter 27, and look down with me in verse 50. The Bible is telling us something very significant here. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 50, the Bible says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. In other words, he's died. Now look at this next verse. Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. And over in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 10, we'll not turn, but the writer to the Hebrews tells us that Jesus' torn body was like a picture of that veil being torn from top to bottom. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, things changed. Back in temple days, there's this gigantic curtain and no one could go past that curtain but the high priest. But Jesus became the great high priest years in mind, and when he died on the cross, that veil was torn, and from that moment until the Lord returns, you and I, because of what he did, because of who he is, we have personal access to the very presence of God through him. That, to me, is the most astounding thing. Now, You may say, well, pastor, you know, there are times in my life where I feel like maybe I have an unusual presence of God, but those are rare times. I think most all of us would say that. I mean, we do have those what we call mountaintop times where you just feel like, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but you say to yourself, I just feel very close to God. I feel some sort of unusual presence of God. But yet, we... We wish we could have more of that. And you wonder, well, what is the deal? Well, the deal is, first of all, I understand the Bible says where two or three are gathered together there, he's in our midst. So he's in our midst now. But like you can gather here even in the house of God, and you can go through a whole worship service and leave and not ever have experienced an unusual presence of God. Whereas other times, we can come to the very same room and go through another worship service. And maybe for you that day, you leave and think, you know, I just, I just felt the presence of God in a very special way. Hear me tonight. To experience the presence of God to its fullest, we must live holy lives. Like, just like... Just like that big curtain and that veil separated, blocked sinful people from going into the Holy of Holies, only the high priest once a year. Well, sin in our life, unconfessed, it it blocks this experience of God's special personal presence. And we need to look at our life and ask that very question. Sometimes people say things like this. Perhaps we've all thought this. I feel, like, I feel like God's moved a million miles away. I've had many people over the years say something to me like that. Pastor, I just feel like God's, you know, he's, he's, he's way out there somewhere. Well, listen, God has not moved anywhere. We move. God's not moved anywhere. Mankind moves. And this whole idea of the holiness of God, it's not much mentioned. You know, the Puritans, they, they were called the Puritans because they, their goal was to be a pure people. But it's just evolved. God's moved nowhere. But in our lifetime, we've watched, and we're watching every day at a rapid pace. It's like, it's like a moral vacuum. That's taking place in America. Sounds like something preachers would preach. Interesting. This past Tuesday. In the USA Today. Now the USA Today is not a religious magazine. Do y'all understand that? <laughs> no it's, 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 it's just a. It's, it's typical media. But I opened it up. Front page. I see this article on the top. Caught my attention. I glanced at the bottom of the page. I mean. A major part of the book. then it goes on, and here was the headline, Nation's Moral Compass. And then it's got this big article, and it begins, let me read just a, just a brief part. Here's, the, here's how the article began. What is happening to my country? Do you ever ask that question? <laughs> like, what is happening to America? I mean, just school shooting after school shooting. My gracious, this and that. What is happening to my country? Well, the article goes on to say, as America has grown more diverse, more secular, I love it, a secular paper saying we're more secular, and more polarized, its moral compass has become harder to tune to a true north, with no particular voice emerging as a moral authority. And then it says some things about how things have changed in the past 50 years. And interesting enough, they, they mention Gallup polls, Pew Research Center. They mention where they get their data. It's, let me just mention a few. It says the presidency has not been shaken by Watergate 50 years ago. 50 years ago, we never heard of Watergate. Watergate changed everything. 50 years ago, Martin Luther King Jr. was the most recognizable civil rights leader. Fifty years ago, Walter Cronkite. Any of you remember Walter Cronkite? You just dated yourself. He was a trusted voice of news. I'm not going to chase that. Fifty years ago, here's a Gallup poll. Sixty-five percent of Americans said religion was very important in their own lives. Fifty years ago, this is a Pew Research Center said said they trusted the government all or most of the time. (laughs) Well, it has a now column. I don't want to depress you, so I won't read all the now column. But let me read what I choose for what I'm doing. Here it is now. 51% today say religion is very important. So it's dropped. It's dropped from 65%. Down to 51%. I question that. I, I just can't fathom that 51% of Americans says religions of any significance at all. Only 18% trust the government all or some of the time. Now, here's, here's the kicker in this deal. Now, this is the U.S. Day Today article. This is not something I wrote. Some experts say these trends have created a moral vacuum. I about fell out of my chair when I read that. I thought man somebody is tuned in to what's going on but this is what's happening in America but like what's happening in our churches what's happening among Christian people what's happening in your life what's happening in my life if this whole idea of the holiness of God and the the purity of a believer and 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 being taken not not being a casual Christian being a being being dedicated and sincere and trying to live your life the best you can as the Word of God teaches, the advantage of that is you have an access to the personal presence of God, not just from time to time, but oftentimes. And we're human. We're going to sin. We're not going to live always perfect lives. We know that. But wouldn't we agree tonight we can all be more godly than we are? Could I have an amen to that? We really can And you have to work at it because everything around us is working against it. And that's why it's so important that our children be taught everything we can to teach them about God and about the Bible. And that this is the moral authority. Not this person and that person or this newspaper and that newspaper, this leader and that leader. Jesus is our moral authority. And when we take that seriously, what happens We have access to the personal presence of God. Now, number two, and I wish you'd jot this down very quickly. uh, If we have personal presence of God, we can have friendship with God. We can have friendship with God. Now, go back in Romans where your bulletin is in chapter 5 and look again with me in verse 10 and 11. It says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more... Uh, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, this word ra- reconcile, let's talk about this word. underlined in your Bible. appears twice here. The word reconcile means there's an action to renew friendship, to reestablish friendship would be a better way to say that. Like if two people have become enemies, maybe a husband, wife, maybe friends, maybe somebody at work, whatever it may be. To be reconciled, what does it mean? It means they're going to have to reestablish that friendship. A person told me this morning, he'd asked me to pray for them, I think two weeks ago. Some, they'd said something that had made someone mad. I don't think the, the man's in our church, but I don't think the other person is. And the man was very burdened about that. He said, what can I do? I've asked him to forgive me of what I've said, but he, he refuses to do that. And I said, well... The Bible says you live as much as possible, peace among all men. Now, if you've asked him to do that, that's all you really can do. Uh, It's over on his side. You've done what the Bible would teach and just pray. But he comes to me today and says, I must say this to you. He said, the man saw me this past week and said, look, I want us to reestablish our friendship. I, I, I forgive you for what you've said. And he said, I feel so much better about it. But here's the point. Reconciliation means there's an action to reestablish a friendship. Now, look in our scripture. That's the way it is with mankind. Now, with God, we were one-time friends. But then we get to a point. We call it the age of accountability. We know what we do, sin. We know it displeases God. We become enemies of God, but we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. God took the action to reestablish the friendship. And much more than that, we've been reconciled by his death. We'll be saved by his life. Now, the point is this. To have friendship with God, we all want that. Could I have an amen? But here's the kicker. It's on his terms. It's on his terms. And this is why so few, if they're honest, would really say, I feel like I'm really a friend of God. It's not like that God doesn't love me, but I don't feel that kind of intimacy with God, that I think of God as my friend. God called Abraham his friend, and he called him that because Abraham believed and obeyed what God told him to do. Jesus says in John chapter 15, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you to do. But you will, you, you'll never have a friend like Jesus ever, but hear me, it has to be on his terms. It can't be on your terms. It can't be on my terms. And that to me is a beautiful thing to know. And the way we can do that is just do what he says. This, this is our authority of life, the word of God. And we don't understand, any of us, every verse in the Bible. But like the old country farmer, we understand more than we do. Could I have an amen to that? My problem and your problem is not that you don't understand every verse in the Bible. All of us would have to admit our problem is we don't obey the verses in the Bible that we do understand. And when we do, we actually become a friend of God. We all love friends. All of us love friends. We do. The greatest friend you'll ever have is Jesus. That's a sermon unto itself. It's a beautiful thing. Now, if you look at your bulletin, very, very interesting. The little outline said the second sentence said, the benefits of having peace with God make a difference in our lives now and in eternity. Now, everything I've said thus far is about now. I've talked about uh, having access to the personal presence of God. That's now. I've talked about having God as a friend, friendship with God. That is now. But the bigger part is the eternity part, and the eternity part is down in verse number 9. Look in Romans chapter 5, verse 9. It says this, much more, having then now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. You say, now what does wrath mean? Well, it doesn't mean God's anger. The wrath of God refers to a righteous response to a sinful man. God is holy. And God, being holy, is going to respond to man's sin. And that response, the Bible calls the wrath of God. You see, if you look in verse 10, it's very interesting. It says, for when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Now, Christ's death reconciled us. But look at the B part of that verse. Much more, having been reconciled, which ye shall be saved by his life. Christ's death reconciled us. Christ's life saves us. Christ's death reconciled us. That's past tense. Christ's life, verse number 10, it saves us. That's presence. It keeps us living in his power because he's no longer dead. He is alive. He lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he can make us victorious in everything. You see, it's interesting. We trust a dying Savior with our soul. We need to trust a living Savior with our life. The living Christ is in you and gives you victory whatever you encounter. Christ giving his life for us saves us from the penalty of sin. Christ giving his life to us saves us from the power of sin and one day will save us from the presence of sin. Now, let's wrap it up this way. Do you know for sure tonight as you look at these verses and read these verses, verse 1, having been justified by faith, have you ever been justified by faith? Has there ever been a time in your life that you can remember when you felt the Spirit of God speak to you and you asked God, you maybe said something like this, God, I admit I'm a sinner. I need you and I want you. And I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. And I trust you to do that. When you did that, you were, that big old word, you were justified. You were You were set free. You were made free. You were freed of your sin and your guilt, and you were declared by God right in His sight. I want you to bow with me tonight, and let's ask the Lord that very question in our own hearts. And then as you do that, I want us to think just a moment about family members that maybe, they really, they've never had this experience. It's not that they do not believe, but they've never had this experience. And perhaps tonight, God's Spirit would put upon your heart for a specific family member or perhaps a friend, someone at work, someone you encounter in life that you know as best you can understand, you're not their judge, but as best you can see, Christ does not live in that person. He does it. There's no fruit. There's no evidence whatsoever. Now that could be you tonight or it could be tonight. You say, you know, pastor, I hear y'all talk about settling your salvation It could be tonight that you're just not sure about your soul. You're not sure about your soul. (laughs) Memorial Day weekend. Tomorrow we celebrate over 1.1 million men and women who died in the United States military serving their country to keep us free. I'm saying to you tonight, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on Golgotha to make you free. If if you're not sure about your soul, you couldn't have a better Memorial Day tomorrow than to be sure about your soul tonight. If you're not sure, just say, Lord Jesus, I realize one day I, I will die, and I want to know for sure where my soul is going. And so I'm asking you tonight, Jesus, If I've never done so before, I'm asking you now, forgive me of my sins and to make me a Christian. Father, I thank you that you make us free. You do, God. You declare us free of sin and guilt. Not that we deserve it, we don't, but because of your love for us. And I pray, oh God, tonight, that as we think about our own lives and then think about those dear to us, those that we encounter in relationships. I pray, dear God, that we would care more about souls, that we'd care more about how we live our life and realize that, yes, it's in your death that we're saved, but it's in your life that we live. You living in us give us beyond anything, everything else could ever give us to make us victorious whatever we encounter. I pray that tonight in Jesus' precious name. Amen.